You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hey there, Pharmacy Podcast Network, Pharmacy Podcast Nation. This is Todd Yuri, founder of the Pharmacy Podcast. I want to say thank you. Thank you to the listeners that have been here. I'm not sure if any of you have been here from the beginning, back in March of 2009, but I want to extend my gratitude to you. I have been living the dream lately where the Pharmacy Podcast Network is uh, generating enough supportive income where since October, um, November timeframe started getting easier for me personally in running this network, building this network. And um, by last month, uh, really in a financial position to start making some changes, some upgrades to this publication and what we are trying to do in helping transform our entire pharmacy industry as well as the pharmacist that's coming, the future pharmacist part of that is today. I wanted to say thank you. I want to let you know that today's episode is a special episode, the return of Antonio Chacha, who is a, um, a pharmacy data maven. This guy knows and sees data like Neo saw the Matrix, and he can see it, he can see through it, he can smell the where the smoke is, and he's really been an amazing help um, to the pharmacy industry, not just independent community pharmacists, this helps everyone. And I just want to give a shout out and thank you to Antonio. Please share this episode. Brought to you by Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, also known as PUT. They're a nonprofit advocacy organization founded by independent pharmacists and pharmacy owners, really devoted to exposing the truth about anti competitive tactics practiced by the three major pharmacy benefit managers, our favorite topic, PBMs. Um, and that I was kidding. It's not my favorite topic. I want to talk about advancing pharmacy forward and hearing some of the most spectacular stories coming out of the pharmacy um, industry and marketplace from so many of you. Um, the CE Impact team with cognitive effects of anticholinergics. I can't even say that. Sickle Cell podcast series with Dr. Cynthia Hall. Um, amazing uh, podcast our new NASP podcast the state of specialty pharmacy in 2020 and then it takes a village episode from the Pennsylvania pharmacists associations beyond the SIG take a, uh, a, a listen to the birth control pharmacist Dr. Sally Raffi and if you haven't listened to the digital pill improves clinical trials extremely interesting episode of what's coming in the near future thank you so much for listening to the pharmacy podcast network
Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Network, Pharmacy Podcast listeners, thanks so much for coming back. This is Todd Urey, founder of the Pharmacy Podcast. And one of uh, the topics that we have to continuously come back to because it's it's ever-changing and, and things are, are changing and happening within the subject of PBM reform. And when I think of people in the, um, in the pharmacy industry and in healthcare industry, of who I look to for the latest updates and information on what's happening, not only in the states, which is a lot more intense, but at a national level, every single one of these states that are going for, through some form of PBM reform are now collectively placing an opportunity to bring reform through the pharmacy benefit managers, at the national federal level, which would be uh, absolutely amazing. So returning uh, guest, uh, which is exciting to have him back, is Antonio Chacha um, with three Access Advisors. Welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast. Thanks, Todd. Great to be back. So uh, I know that the last time that we talked, it's been a long, I can't believe how fast time goes, episode 935, which was called In Data We Trust, and it was part of our PBM reform series. We started unpacking the research that three access advisors did with regards to um, the state of, of Florida's um, really amazing report that you did and really cracking open the, the PBM safe of secrets and really showing uh, data that was refuted on multiple levels for multiple reasons to just try to cover themselves, but really started showing some, in my opinion, nefarious <laughs> business practices with Medicaid dollars and other things that were happening. But um, since then, which I can't believe, like I said, how fast time goes, that's February 2020, before this whole coronavirus and COVID exploded um, across the globe. But there's been something else that you've been part of through the research through the AGAMC, and they've done several articles and publications about PBM reform, and you partook, partook you were part of one of those, um, and it was called the PBM Analyst Antonio Chacha to Share Drug Pricing Tactics Data at CA, COA 2020, and, um, and now... I'm referencing another article through the, AG, the AJMC, which is called PBMs in Community Oncology. We just can't let them get away with what they're doing. It was by Mary Caffrey. So I kind of wanted to, to bring our listeners up to date since they haven't heard from you in a little while, just because of how busy everybody is. But then I'm going to dig into this and ask some questions of you. That sounds great. Um, we had uh, a great, um, had some great interactions with the oncology folks because I think they, what we're learning is that a lot of the challenges that they're seeing are being reflected uh, in the pharmacy industry as well. So um, a lot of the concerns that they have with where the supply chain is taking them, where PBMs are, are taking them, uh, are, are issues that are shared by um, pharmacists. And unsurprisingly, the issues uh, from the people that pay for pharmacy are very similar for the people who pay for oncology. So it is both a provider and payer uh, impact that seems to be shared uh, between pharmacy and oncology practices. So when I think of the compounding 
issues that we're facing right now with uh, the, the pandemic and what patients have to go through, the frustration, their family members, their support groups. And then I start thinking of the hub service providers that are really supposed to be making life easier for the patient, uh, removing roadblock, roadblocks for therapy. The major roadblock is payment. And I read through this article and um, Jonathan Levitt, part of uh, uh, Fryer and Levitt was part of this Jeffrey Mortimer partner with a lobbying firm. I'm thinking, so what is happening at the level of specialty? And like I said, before we started recording, you can insert any disease state, any chronic disease state into this. And the pieces of the puzzle that makes up how a PBM works with a specific disease state, in my opinion, seem like it's changing as we move forward. So what what in a disease state, what keeps us from getting the therapies that we need in the way that we do at the cost that is containable and survivable by the individual, by the insurance plan? I, I read this in frustration. It says PBM's challenges are not new. We've been dealing with this for so long. It almost seems like just, just a way of life. And the, the, the hub provider you know, has to understand that. And over the years, uh, the practice um, addressed higher and higher and higher costs and co-pays, and it just keeps moving. It keeps changing. So it, when you think of this and you have access to data that you soak in constantly, what do you say to that hub provider or that, that, that entity that's really trying to change things? How do we show and uncover what's underneath the the blanket of mystery when it comes to PBM to have this stuff rise to the top? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we're looking at an ever evolving uh, complicated marketplace and it is intentionally that way uh, because with mystery comes margin and um, what we see. So it, this is a way to kind of level set for those that uh, didn't listen to any of our previous discussions. But our, our journey into pharmacy data analytics and drug pricing really started with um, a skeptical eye on what was happening in the Ohio Medicaid system. Uh, we had providers in the state of Ohio who were lamenting uh, an ongoing attrition of margin in the pharmacy space uh, to the point where pharmacists were seeing a cut of gross margin at around 60 to 80 percent uh, within the Medicaid managed care program. And as we looked at the other side of the equation, we saw that, that the costs for the state were uh, ballooning significantly. So you have providers getting paid less, you have the state paying more, um, there was something being lost in the middle. And so um, once we started figuring out that there was probably something nefarious going on in the middle, we started trying to leverage data as much as we could to tell a story on what might be happening uh, in the middle of that transaction. And so uh, prior to me getting into uh, the pharmacy space, um, even though it's been uh, part of the, our, our, family, uh, our family forever, uh, I was in, in, involved in journalism. And so I was very interested in getting to the bottom of the story. And so um, through my time at the Pharmacists Association in Ohio, we were able to create enough pressure that yielded an audit that showed 
that pharmacies were getting paid quite low and that the state was getting billed quite high. And the uh, delta in between that was something called spread pricing, mm -hmm. where PBM pays one rate and bills a higher rate back to a plan sponsor, in this case, the state of Ohio. Uh, the audit found that PBMs were inflating the cost of generic drugs by over 30%. So for every dollar spent on a generic drug, um, 30 cents was being captured by the claims processor. Um, that created uh, quite a controversy in the state of Ohio that started knocking over dominoes in other states that uncovered their own spread pricing problems. For example, in the state of New York, state of Michigan, state of Georgia, uh, state of Virginia, um, it just really started snowballing. Uh, after a lot of that spread pricing uh, hubbub uh, crescendoed, we started getting more and more inquiries from uh, pharmacy organizations, uh, government officials, employers seeking to diagnose what was happening under the hood of their PBM car. Mm -hmm. And um, what we started to see was that spread pricing was just one, one revenue stream for the PBM. And it, remember that a PBM is a business like anybody else. And so I don't want to say revenue stream like it's an, it's an awful thing. Certainly PBMs, I believe, provide some value to the system. Um, we ultimately need somebody to act as a friction against the other side of the supply chain. Um, and PBMs intended function was to really just try and find a happy middle ground between what is a fair rate to pay provider and, and to, exhibit some sophistication on which drugs should and shouldn't be covered based on their value proposition. So you ultimately want some uh, entity that uh, hopefully acts as a referee on the supply chain for the sake of the payer. All that is good. Um, over time, things started to get very complicated because uh, PBMs started to find business interests in the side of the drug supply chain with which they were seeking to control. And so as they realized that they controlled the pharmacy side of the supply chain, um, they realized that that control could not just be used for cost savings to a plant sponsor, but it also that control could yield um, new forms of margin into the PBM business model. Um, and so over time, as PBMs start um, increased their conflicts of interest on the other end of the supply chain, um, it's it obviously coincided with opportunities where they were perhaps um, taking more plates off the buffet than they should have been uh, should have been taking. And so um, after we uncovered the spread pricing uh, debacle in Ohio and a few other states, um, you know we, we realized that um, this marketplace needed a more sophisticated uh, level of data analytics than it was getting. And so we launched uh, 46 Brooklyn Research as a nonprofit dedicated to making drug pricing uh, free and available to the public. Then we launched Three Axis Advisors as a consulting firm for those that are looking to get uh, a, a very detailed analysis under the hood of their PBM car without, uh, it, for, with, uh, without using necessarily, or solely relying on publicly available data. And so to bring it back to the oncology uh, space, um, as we started looking into data, into data from employers and governments, we were starting to see some disturbing trends on the 
overpricing of oncology drugs from a payer's perspective. And so, um, you know, when when you fill a prescription, you know, uh, every entity incurs certain uh, incurs certain costs. Um, for the filling of a prescription at a retail pharmacy, typically the cost to fill a prescription is around $10. In an oncology practice, obviously, you're dealing with more expensive drugs, um, typically a higher level of service to the patient. That price is not necessarily $10, but, you know, it's it's going to be, you know, in the ballpark of around, you know, $1,000, something like that, depending on the drug, depending on the patient, et cetera, et cetera. We started to see prescriptions being filled um, or that were paid for by uh, plan sponsors where they were getting charged $1,000, dollars $2,000, $3,000, $4,000, $5,000, $6,000 sometimes above the cost of the medication. And so, you know, again, like not to undermine or, or de dis uh, devalue what, what a pharmacist does or what an oncologist does. Um, to see a markup of $6,000 over the cost of the drug just really puzzled us. So the question that we started asking ourselves is, well, who's making that money? <laughs> uh, because with fat margins comes opportunities to save money. And what we began to uncover was that, um, that sometimes the farm or the oncology practices were getting that or were getting that money or a portion of that money. So the question that we had is, if the PBM is supposed to save money, why are they wildly overpaying for these drugs? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, we, when we look under the hood, we see, well, we find that the companies that are dispensing most of these overpriced medications happen to be owned by the PBM. <laughs> yep. It's funny. You've been punching on this specifically in the state of Ohio for so long. Just so everybody under, everyone understands who's listening, there was an outcome. Governor DeWine announced that he would rebid all of the Medicaid managed uh, care contracts, and it was specifically due to the problems identified in the PBM space, which is so exciting to hear. So congratulations to, to you and your team, as well as to the Ohio Pharmacists Association, which you set um, on the team uh, with, with those, with those uh, policymakers and, and people who really understand the business of pharmacy, which makes absolute sense. And there was a, another win over in uh, Pennsylvania next door to, um, to Ohio with the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association when uh, Jenner, or Pennsylvania's Auditor General uh, and Auditor um, Eugene D. Pascal found that PBMs kept uh, keeping hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayers through what they have identified as spread pricing. And this is now being shaken down to a bill being posed called SB 789, which would forbid any corporate, uh, corporately owned PBM or PBM corporate affiliate to having any ownership or interest in a pharmacy. Now, okay, when I think of the complexity of PBMs, okay, and different everywhere, different in disease state, different in the state that they're in, operating in, different in, you know, is it mail order, mail service, or is it, or is it pickup or whatever, regardless, it's easy for me to understand when, you know, I'm in this, I, 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 I listen, I read, I feel like I'm pretty well established understanding and it's still so complex. But Antonio, to think of a law coming out that I think should be nationalized, that if you own a PBM, 
you absolutely cannot own or have any ownership whatsoever in a dispensing entity pharmacy. That makes absolute sense to me. I'd like to see that just blow up everywhere just as a way to start even evening the playing field so that I know that the ABC mom and pop pharmacy has the same ability to understand from a dispensing perspective of what's happening over at CVS or, or, or uh, Walmart or whatever. But that, that facet of, of, of having that be nationalized is, is so necessary. Well, we see, uh, we see entities that are moving in that direction. Um, you know, I have, um, you know, a lot of our work came from, you know, aggressively pushing issues in the state of Ohio. And, um, you know, we certainly have not been, you know, well received, I think, by a lot of the folks in the administration because of the scrutiny that we put on, um, on their management of pharmacy benefits as a whole. Um, what I've learned over time is, is that it is human to be defensive about those things. Um, unfortunately, it is, it's, it's largely unfair to the plans or to the Department of Medicaid or the Bureau of Workers Comp or the Public Employee Retirement System. And not to say that they, that anybody deserves a pass. I mean, certainly they all could, um, could and should be uh, more scrutinizing of contracts that they enter into. But let's not let's not kid ourselves. It's not like that they're unique. Um, the problems that are being felt by our state agencies in Ohio are no different from anybody else. Um, to this day, I see contracts that um, employers and local governments are enter, are entering into that have no no pricing guarantees for the PBM. So the PBM is literally given a blank check and said, "Hey, do it do whatever you want." We trust you, um, and some some PBMs deserve trust. Others do not. Regardless, if you're a plan sponsor, you should have an adversarial re relationship with any vendor that you're that you're contracting with, um, and trust but verify even those that we think are above board. And so, the Department of Medicaid and all the agencies in Ohio are can just be or delete Ohio and insert any state. Um, the problems are being felt across the board. Um, but for as much grief as we've created in Ohio, hopefully that pressure has created a, steril a sterilizing effect, um, and we think it has, uh, because we, I just listened to a presentation um, from the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Comp Program, uh, and for those of you who don't know, the Bureau of Workers' Comp is uh, currently involved with our state attorney general suing their previous PBM for alleged overcharges in their program. And today, the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Comp uh, in their presentation they gave this month to um, state officials, explained how they fixed their PBM problem. And they don't allow their PBM to retain rebates. They make them pass them all through, every price concession from a drug manufacturer. They do not allow um, the PBM to direct uh, specialty medications to their own pharmacies. In fact, they require that they are divorced from the, the, that conflict of interest. All of those things are very healthy. And, and uh, for those that are very defensive, for those that are defensive of the PBM industry, um, this is a pure form of PBM, uh, one that is divorced from the conflicts of interest that hinder or distort the PBM's incentive to actually render its value proposition back to the people paying the bill. And so, um, 
the message is not do away with PBMs. It's actually flex their muscles in a way that actually makes them perform their intended function. Um, and along the way, hopefully, you know, there's, there is consideration for what providers do and the value that they provide. But at the end of the day, what we're finding is that there's a tremendous amount of fat to be cut out of the system. And most of it resides directly in the conflicts of interest that the PBMs have within the supply chain. Antonio, have any of the states who are going through this audit phase, including the state of Florida, that you did a very deep dive in, in spread pricing, generic drug comparison, disparities, and reported payments uh, back to pharmacies different than pharmacies who were owned by PBMs? It's just, it was an amazing uh, report. I'm going to put that in the show notes just in case listeners haven't read that. It's so worth uh, your time. And, and I, I know it might sound boring, but it's not. When you start digging into the data, it's going to make your eyes pop out. But so Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, are there other states that have made um, a progression in PBM reform that have, um, that have said enough's enough and have any of the states that you know of done away completely with PBMs? So state of West Virginia uh, deleted their PBMs out of their managed care program a while ago. Uh, the state of New York just announced that, that um, well, recently Governor Cuomo announced that they are um, carving out the benefit. The state of California is moving in the direction of carve out. Um, North Dakota, I believe, um, is currently hitting the reset button. And obviously, Ohio is still on the uh, is getting ready to implement their single PBM here fairly soon. Um, the state of Georgia uh, just passed legislation here pretty recently that reforms PBMs as well. Um, I trust that it's um, that it's uh, in good shape, but I, I can't I can't say that I've I've uh, read read up on it. Greg Raybold over in Georgia would likely be a great source on that. But I, I think I think the the thing I would say is. PBM reform as an idea is certainly one that is necessary, but not all PBM reforms are created equal. Um, you know, obviously, I think, you know, a lot of your listeners come from the pharmacy space and pharmacy, pharmacy's collective axe to grind with PBMs has traditionally been really focused on uh, the monetary side of pharmacy. So a lot of PBM reform in states are being pushed by pharmacy organizations but let's not kid ourselves, pharmacies have conflicts of interest in those pushes as well. And so ultimately, the, the push for PBM reform is one that should be centered on what is the best system for the people that pay the bill uh, and the people that ultimately receive the benefit, i.e. the patient. And so I think that um, some of the pushes I've seen from pharmacy um, are really huddled around the pillar of pay us more money. And the thing that I uh, the thing that I would caution those people on is that um, you want to create a system that is lean, efficient, and ultimately one that extracts the most value out of what pharmacy benefits provide. And underneath the the hood of pharmacy benefits is the the service that the pharmacist provides. And the thing that I've been really really focused on is as we sterilize these systems and cut the fat out of the system. It's not just, hey, take the money out of the PBM's wallet and put it in the pharmacy. No, I would argue that the way that we've pay, been paying for pharmacy all along is inherently broken. We need to come up with a system that is ultimately based on the true costs of medications or some derivative off of those costs of the medications 
and then actually making sure that the, the, uh, the value that we want to extract out of the supply chain from PBM to wholesaler to pharmacy and so on is ultimately one that we're creating adequate incentives for. And so for pharmacists that listen to the pharmacy podcast that maybe don't necessarily care about the business side of pharmacy or what independent pharmacy cares about, et cetera, if you're just a pharmacist working on the counter trying to render a service to a patient, uh, ultimately what PBM reform is about is not just moving money from one pot to another, it's hopefully taking money that is currently being wasted in the system and pointing it in a direction that drives a better value proposition back to the patient and the overall system. Because one of the things that, that bothers me about pharmacy is that the incentive system is predominantly magnetized around the filling of a prescription. And so the way that you make more money in pharmacy or the way that you make more money as a PBM is just take advantage of arbitrage and fill more prescriptions as fast as you can or cover more prescriptions as fast as you can if you're the managed care planner or the PBM. And I think most healthcare providers would agree that's a very broken way to pay for healthcare because profitability is derived from gaming the system or moving really quickly. But we all know that in rendering a value to the patient or what pharmacists are trained to do is ultimately about caring for that patient. We don't pay for care, we pay for drugs. Um, and so as we free up some of this money, hopefully the payer can save some money along the way. And hopefully your pharmacy can be a little bit more sustainable. But my, my real hope is that we could start taking these freed up funds and pointing them in the direction that actually provides a different and better value proposition to the system as a whole in the future. So interesting that you had talked about, you know, always focusing on what is spread pricing. We kind of defined that in the last interview. I'm going to put that in the show notes as part of the PBM reform podcast series, but I've read some information from the Kaiser family foundation who, who was talking about States that are um, encouraging carve outs, as you just mentioned, Antonio and 34, um, MCO carve-out states responded to this survey that they did this report on. Uh, and it, it's amazing to see the money being saved in the Medicaid systems based on the ability to carve out pharmacy benefits. And that's got to be in a continuing trend. But I think to your point, it's still playing the PBM game almost feel like we take the advice of three access advisors and say, we just need an entire new calculator and mousetrap. This has to be built from the ground up as something brand new. And we should, we should take into consideration the manufacturer, um, the rebate card providers like GoodRx, for example, the state pharmacy associations that control Medicaid uh, dollar influence, as well as uh, reports from each of the states through the governor's offices to show what's happened since you've started to dig into PBM reform. How many millions of dollars, 54 million saved in the great state of West Virginia um, because of that audit. And that's worth something, $244 million saved in the state of Ohio. I mean, that is huge. That's, that's impacting families. That's impacting lives that's impacting health and that's where this is coming from me from me every time i talk to somebody on one of the pbm reform uh, episodes 
I always say, hey, I'm a capitalist. I believe in, you know, profiting, but not like this. This is this is bastardized the world of profiting and turned it into something that, like we've we've all agreed, is is very dark. Yeah. So in in our Florida report, um, you know, we actually find data. So the data shows what pharmacies are actually being paid in the Florida Medicaid program. We can see on a drug by drug basis, day by day basis, pharmacy by pharmacy basis, PBM by PBM basis, what pharmacies are actually being paid for prescription drugs. And what we see is that there is a, um, a magnetic pull uh, from providers to overpriced medications, surprise, surprise. So anybody, so if you can fill a prescription for generic Gleevec, for example, in the state of Florida's Medicaid managed care program, uh, at most you can be paid $5,800 in margin per prescription. $5,800 in margin per prescription for the one prescription dispensed at a pharmacy. And so when you see that, you're like, well, for something that actually costs around $10 for the service to render, I mean, hell, if you call the patient one extra time, three extra times, you deliver that drug with the, the pharmacist delivers it to the patient's house with a gallon of milk and watches them take the pill. I mean, you, you could save money. Um, those types of overpricing of prescriptions is insane. And unsurprisingly, what we're finding is that the entity that's setting the price, the PBM, um, is surprise, surprise, pushing a lot of those prescriptions to their own specialty pharmacies. So the PBM is boomeranging margin back to their own affiliated entities. But look, it doesn't stop there. Um, the PBMs are the only ones that are taking advantage of that system. The, the data from Florida shows that on other overpriced medications like uh, vitamin D cream, vitamin D cream in the state of Florida, mind you, uh, you have a wildly overpriced prescription uh, that PBMs are shelling out excess dollars for to pharmacies. And guess what? There are pharmacies that we identified that were working to increase the amount of prescriptions at their pharmacies. You could see in the data that the more uh, margin that started to grow into the prescription, the more prescriptions the pharmacies were dispensing. And so what you see here is that whether it's a PBM affiliated pharmacy or a regular retail uh, pharmacy, the incentives really matter. And so long as the incentives are, are, are concentrated on individual drugs that for no apparent reason overpay a pharmacy, you will find PBMs and pharmacies will work to try and increase the amount of prescriptions that they fill of those overpriced medications. That's not how pharmacy should be delivered. Um, we should be incentivizing the care of the patient, not incentivizing pharmacies or PBMs to go chase after subjectively overpriced medications. And so what you have is a complete system breakdown that I do blame the PBM more so for because they ultimately are the ones setting these prices. But if you are a, uh, an employer or you're a government payer and you see this, your job isn't necessary to sit down and say, okay, well, go after the pharmacy or go after the PBM. No, pull the rug out from the system because it is inherently distrustful at this point. Um, that's hopefully when people read our, our analyses is that their takeaway is don't walk away from this saying that this is a bad guy and that's a good guy. 
walk away from any of these data analytics projects that we do or anybody else do and say, these are broken systems and they deserve to be overhauled. Absolutely. So just the one factor, if, if we could wake up tomorrow, Antonio, and every, every PBM in business, the independently one own, own PBMs, the fiduciary ones, the rebate back ones, and then of course the big three, the nationals. If, if there was a law nationally that said you cannot have any interest or ownership of any pharmacy if you are a PBM, how would that impact things? I think it would certainly help, but let's not kid ourselves. Ownership interest is, you know, just one layer of a conflict of interest. You know, it, some of our data shows that there are some interesting connections between CVS Caremark and Centene uh, out of the state of Florida. And we've seen similar data in the state of Ohio showing just uh, an interesting relationship between those two entities. Um, and we see overpricing of drugs within, within that relationship. Those entities are not owned by one another, um, but they do have business arrangements. Um, and so I would not necessarily say that eliminating conflicts of interest is a panacea um, or eliminating ownership interest, I should say. It's, it's, it's eliminating the conflict of interest that is extremely important, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily say that that's a panacea either. Um, I would I would say that that's if you were to develop a, a top five list of things that need to be done to the industry, I would argue that that's certainly one to put in that list. Um, but there are other things uh, related to the pricing of the drugs in the first place that I think are inherently problematic. Um, the entire foundation of the system is built on AWP, average wholesale price, uh, which is largely a fictitious price um, for those that understand the industry very well. So certainly, I think what you've pointed out is, is uh, of paramount importance, but there's a lot more to it uh, than just sterilizing uh, the ownership conflict. What's next? Uh, do you have a, a plan in place to kind of weave some of this data together into more of a multi-state report that could show uh, federal level governments and Senate how things have been, how the egg has been cracked so that we can really dissect this and to your point, rebuild um, a much, um, much needed uh, reform in what is uh, the PBM. So I would say that um, we are in the process of an ongoing learning uh, journey. And I would argue that the system that we seek to sterilize is also undergoing the same thing. Uh, we are trying to expose and cleanse a system that I think has been corrupted. Um, and I think that the entrenched entities who benefit from the system are actively working at the same pace to try and find new ways um, to um, maintain their margins. And so, um, the thing that I, I usually like to say is there are no experts in this industry, but there is tremendous amounts of expertise to be gleaned. And so our job is to um, continue to develop and refine our expertise um, and hopefully get to a point where you um, box the other side into, the, into a corner that they can't get out of at that point. And certainly that, that could be the, you know, the proverbial tipping over of the soda machine. 
at that point that where you actually get to the point of no return and that you reset the reset the entire uh, game or field of play. So, um, you know, as far as what's next for us, it's continued learning because um, we don't have it all figured out. We continue to learn new things along the way. We have new reports that'll be coming out uh, through uh, Three Axis Advisors and 46 Brooklyn that are things that we would have never guessed were occurring, uh, you know, this time last year. Um, and so there, some of these things are things that people will say, man, you are a super nerd and I'm not reading any of this stuff. I mean, the report that the Florida report that you mentioned, I'm staring right now at it, at it in the section on generic Gleevec is, is page 100. Uh, there's no way people are going to make it, make it through all this stuff. But our job is to keep learning and keep trying to find ways to disseminate information in ways that are useful and helpful uh, to the cause of a better pharmacy benefit system. And so um, we will continue to pull the thread and peel back the layers of onion. Uh, my challenge to listeners is, uh, especially since I know that it's a, it, it is a it's heavy uh, pharmacist audience, is um, when you think about PBM reform, I would, I would challenge you to think less inwardly um, about PBM reform and think about the system with which you as a healthcare provider operate in and think back to why you became a pharmacist in the first place. Or for those that aren't pharmacists, think about what we, what we value in pharmacy and what we want out of pharmacy and try to think of ways that through your education and the education of others, you can help bring about a better system um, with which pharmacy can operate in. I like that because it's it's really ending not only your thought, but uh, this specific episode on a, on a positive note, which is being able to take care, uh, take control and take care of your own destiny in some ways. And there are things that we can do. We see consultant type pharmacists out there going right into physician offices, doing uh, medication reviews for the most chronic of, of their patients that are on 6, 8, 12, 14 meds that are, um, that are getting paid for doing those consults. And it's not through the physician. It's through an, an outside organization like RxVIP Concierge or the Uber group down in uh, Florida that is uh, Aspen Rx or Aspen Health Rx, which is and amazing. So there is innovation, not waiting for PBM reform that's taking place that is impacting um, patient health, bringing the pharmacist closer to the patient, which I think is much necessary, especially when we get um, consumer feedback, when we keep seeing pharmacists are always in the top three place of, of trust in healthcare and in healthcare professionals. They're, they're the second most trusted to nurses in in caring for the patient. That says something. That should say something to our policy developers and, and people that are, are, are making these changes uh, to healthcare in order to lower expenses that, in my opinion, is unnecessary when it continuously bees, when, it contin when it's continuously uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars of profit uh, that go back just to the PBM. So that, that is welcomed. But in uh, in closing, Antonio, we love having you on. Um, we have to have you back, hopefully uh, sooner than than four or five months from now. Um, like to attract the input of other organizations and people listening that can have something to say based on the data that has been cracked open by 
three access advisors. And I've seen you quoted uh, throughout so many different publications in Pharmacy Times um, on the Kaiser um, uh, group, which is a reference that, of what, I, what I've said, as well as um, many of the state um, Medicaid systems. You guys should be proud of yourselves and what you're doing because you're really helping to unravel something that is extremely complex and it's, it's frustrating uh, these career pharmacists who believe in what they do. Well, it's, uh, this is the moment of disruption. Um, pharmacy's been waiting it for, for, for a long time, but the, the thing that pharmacy often forgets is the payers have been waiting for this moment for a long time too. Um, and it's, um, it's incredibly fun and rewarding to be involved in helping to hit the reset button. I hope we get to do it. Um, I hope the system does turn on its head because I think there's so much more value that we can get out of it than the system we have today. I agree. We were on with Antonio Chacha with the Ohio Pharmacists Association, also team member of 3XS Advisors. His um, contact information, email address, I will put in our show notes as well as a a connection to some of the reports that we referenced. And um, I'm excited. I, I appreciate you being here. We welcome you back at any time. And to the listeners, you guys are the champions. This is about a pharmacist being effective and ultimately what you're doing and impacting patient health. And as always, I thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. <laughs>